Welcome back to the Health Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Elena Davis, and I'm so glad that you are here with me today. For today's episode, I have a really exciting guest joining me, Ashley Smith from Veggies and Virtue. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist and the owner of Veggies and Virtue, as well as the host of the Veggies and Virtue podcast. She's also a mama to three little sweet kiddos, and she is very well known for her tips, recommendations, and tools that she provides parents with when it comes to feeding our families, feeding our kids. And she specializes in taking the chaos out of that. If any of you have kids, you know that feeding them and mealtimes can get really stressful and chaotic, especially when they develop opinions of their own. And so if you've ever had a little bit of a picky eater, or if you've ever just had a lot of questions about what should I be feeding my kids? They eat the same thing over and over, those kinds of things. That is what she really specializes in. And I personally have been so helped by the tips and the coaching and all the things that she provides through her Instagram page, through her podcast, through her website. And so I know that you are going to be so encouraged and helped by the tips that she's going to share in today's episode. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. Here is my conversation with Ashley. Well, welcome back to the Health Forward Podcast. We have a special guest guest with us today, Ashley Smith from Veggies and Virtue. Ashley, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to get to talk to you and for my listeners to get to hear from you. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself before we really get into our topic for today. Tell us about your family, what you do. Sure. Yeah. So as you said, my name's Ashley. I live just outside the Houston area in Texas with my husband. We're going on 10 years in May. So we're excited for that anniversary trip But um, with my husband, Sam. And then we have three kids, two girls who are eight and six. And then our littlest, Owen, is uh, three. Wow. And so we just keep ourselves busy with them and, you know, added a puppy to the bunch recently. But (laughs) outside of family life, um, I've created Veggies and Virtue, my business, kind of in the gaps of nap time and nighttime. And now I do it a couple of days a week uh, when my son's at, or my kids are at school, my son's at preschool and um, just really want to come alongside families and help them with their family's nutrition and their family's feeding habits and helping really arm parents, specifically moms um, with the tools and the tricks that they need to make meals not feel quite so complicated. Yes. Yeah. And you are very good at doing just that. I actually found you started following you when I think my daughter was probably about the time she started eating solid food. So mm-hmm. goodness, that was like over three years ago, I would say. It was definitely before you had your son because I remember when you would post and it was just the girls. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but you were so helpful for me when I was like, well, okay, now I have, you know, you get so focused on like baby land and then you're like, oh, right. I have to feed you other things. Like, how do I, <laughs> what do I do? How do I do that? Um, yes. And not becoming super obsessive about it. And so everything that you put out was just super helpful for me. So I'm, I'm very excited that my audience gets to learn a little bit of that from you too. So how did you decide to, to get into this? Like, how did you decide to become a pediatric dietitian? So for me, I was one of those people that I, I feel like I lasered in on it pretty early on. I babysat okay. for a lot of families in like junior high and high school. And 
Um, I was raised and just grew up as a pretty adventurous eater. I mean, both my parents cooked homemade meals. My brother ended up becoming a professional chef. I mean, we were a bit more of like a foodie family. And so it was really strange to me to go babysit for families and see these kids be really picky. And I just kind of took it upon myself as a teenager thinking like, how can I introduce these kids to fruit or like what makes them like kind of just find out the little idiosyncrasies of how kids eat. And so I knew going into undergrad, I definitely wanted to major in nutrition. And then when I was pursuing graduate schools, I knew that pediatric was definitely still the focus area that I wanted to have. And um, so it's just been a a fun journey over the last like 20 years now of just um, pursuing different avenues and options with it. But it's, it's been a passion of mine for a really long time to just um, you know, I think I have a lot of those core values because of the way I was raised around food and trying new things and home cooked meals and things like that. But then now as a mom, I also understand the other side of, you know, what it's like to shape those eating habits in kids. And so um, bringing the personal experiences and the professional uh, expertise is really a fun thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that you kind of started out like in your teen years, knowing that you felt pull to that and call to that. I love that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some of your more common challenges that you see when you're working with families? I feel like a lot of us share some of the same struggles and worries and concerns when it comes to our kids and what they eat and how they eat. Um, What are some of those that you see very commonly? Yeah. So most of the families that I work with, I do tend to specialize mostly in picky eating. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a really common challenge area for a lot of the families I work with. But I think alongside that, sometimes it's differentiating, you know, does the child have, um, you know, a reason for the picky eating that's more biological or, you know, some sort of feeding challenge, or is it kind of lifestyle related and the family maybe doesn't know how to feed the child. And so they're kind of helping, you know, unintentionally, they're perpetuating some of these picky eating patterns that we see. And so helping families kind of identify the root cause of the picky eating and then to support them in whatever ways they need. But in terms of the most common things, a lot of it is really lifestyle related and helping arm parents with an understanding of how to approach picky eating effectively. So every meal is not a power struggle and, you know, coming, I mean, just even if you don't have picky eaters coming up with breakfast, lunch, and dinner ideas every single day is daunting. I don't think any of us until we became moms <laughs> understood quite how much work that is. Yes. But so then true. when you're feeding a child who is a little bit more apprehensive to the foods being offered, you know, there's just a lot of strategies and systems that I think parents can use to make that job easier on the parent and also more effective when actually feeding the child. So just trying to walk through kind of those day-to-day challenges with families of, you know, not getting in a rut and coming up with new ideas and how do you pivot when you do have a picky eater who's kind of stuck on their, you know, go-to foods and things like that are some of the most common things that I work Mm -hmm. with families on. Yeah. I think we all can very much relate to that. I think a lot of times, or at least this is how it was with me when my daughter was very young and just starting on solids, I was like, okay, like we're going to have so much variety. I'm not going to let her be a picky eater. You know, all these things, you kind of, all the, you know, I will never with my kids phrases Mm -hmm. that you get in your head. And then lo and behold, she gets her own opinion and then starts very (laughs) strong-willed expressing that opinion. And you're like, oh, okay, what am I going to do? Because we can't fight every single mealtime or this is becoming super stressful. And I don't, you know, I do care that she gets a good variety of nutrients. So how do I make that work? And so I think a lot of parents probably have similar concerns or, you know, face similar things. So I think it's great that you help with that. One thing that I learned from you very early on that was 
completely foreign to me was you talked about the division of responsibility. And I think that was the first time I had ever heard about that when it comes to feeding your kids. So will you explain what that is and just talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the division of responsibility basically breaks down to what your role in the feeding relationship is and what a child's role is in the feeding relationship. And when we look at all the research and all the evidence that backs up different feeding approaches, this is the one that study after study and, you know, expert after expert agrees that the division of responsibility as it's typically uh, called is the best like gold standard approach for families to follow. And that's for parents to kind of follow this idea that the parent provides the food and the child gets to decide if the food is offered. So that's kind of the most simplistic way of thinking about it in terms of like actual roles and responsibilities. It breaks down to the parent being in charge of what food is offered, when food is offered. So like the schedule, the routine, and then where that food is offered. And then the child gets to decide if, whether, and how much they eat. And so um, it's a very simple concept. You know, I can, you know, share it in a real nutshell, but the execution, as I'm sure you know, is, it can be really challenging, even Mm if you're in tune with what your role is early on in the feeding relationship. I know for me and, you know, hearing your experience with your daughter, my firstborn, I knew, you know, I came out of working at a pediatric hospital. I knew the division of responsibility in my head, but to actually practice it with my daughter, someone who has been picky since birth, you know, was a totally different experience. And so, um, you know, my goal is just to really partner with families to help them walk through that on a day-to-day basis. Because nowadays, especially as adults, you know, we hear more about like intuitive eating and mindfulness and some of these concepts that I think are a little bit new to a lot of us as moms or, you know, our generation and older. But really, I think what dietitians and pediatric dietitians like myself, our goal is really to do is start equipping kids younger and younger with this type of mindfulness around their eating. And so the division of responsibility, a lot of parents who may come from a different feeding approach of, you know, maybe forcing or bribing or pressuring um, different foods, it doesn't seem upfront very effective because they're, yeah. they don't get their kids to eat. But what the concept is, and like the real root value here is that we want to be equipping kids with their, you know, or I should say empowering kids to use their innate abilities to self-regulate and to kind of learn how to balance their own eating habits from an early age. So as they grow into adolescence and, you know, through the college years and into adulthood, they really know intuitively how to eat, obviously at the stages of life that they don't have a parent overseeing it. And so um, I think, you know, helping parents see that this is really a, a lifestyle approach for the whole family. It works for all ages and ranges and, you know, stages and things like that um, can be really helpful, you know, but I think it does take a lot of support in, in these early years in terms of the execution of it, because you're not necessarily going to see as many quick wins as you might with like a polite bite or pushing some of these other methodologies. Right. Yeah. I think that was one of the biggest things that, that drew me into it was that it was so opposite of what I was used to, I mean, how I grew up or how I have um, nephews that are a little older, they're 10 and seven. And so before I had my own kids, I was like helping with them. And, you know, it was just that normal, like make a happy plate and you have to eat everything on your plate and you absolutely have to try it. And you're not getting off the table until you do, you know, it was just all these, I think things that were pretty normative to me. But also I saw how much of a struggle and how chaotic that made mealtimes. And, and so when I heard this from you, I was like, okay, that makes, 
it makes a lot of sense and it helps take some pressure off. Um, and so we'll kind of get into like practical methods of how, you know, frameworks you put into place with that. But what it makes me think of, have you seen the commercial, I think it's a Kraft mac and cheese commercial where it like oh, yes. starts out exactly yes, with about. her like chasing the little girl with the fork. Yep. And like it now having a, a different mindset because of things I've learned from you and other dietitians that I follow, like it bothers me. Like that commercial bothers me. I'm like, stop, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that was all, that is just so normal in what most of us probably knew growing up. And so that's just kind of what we turn around and do with our kids, maybe without that like minute of thinking about, oh, this might not be setting them up well in the future. Like to mm-hmm. what you're saying, that learning how to listen you know, to their body, learn how to listen to, you know, one thing I tried to switch with my daughter was instead of focusing on a happy play, focus on listen to your tummy. Is your tummy full? You know, and so we have little phrases that she now repeats to us because I've said them to her so much um, that I'm like, okay, like that is teaching her to make the call and her to pay attention to how her body feels when she's eating something. Um, But that's not, I don't think that comes to us naturally, you know, unless we're taught that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And something I see a lot too is, you know, with having three kids who each have different feeding personalities, but none of mine have been adventurous eaters as I would kind of qualify them. You know, I don't like to put labels on any child's eating habit, but um, for simplicity's sake, you know, they've all definitely fallen more towards the picky side of things. And I think a lot of people, particularly like in my personal life, who see us on a day-to-day basis, you know, eating at gatherings and things like that, they expect for me to really like um, you know, steer my kids away from certain foods or to not let them have that and, you know, different things like that. And I hate that my kids, I think, get an increased amount of that messaging to them because mm-hmm. I'm a dietitian. And so it's, I can't believe your mom would let you eat that. And it's like, you just start hearing how much of the diet culture does come into the way that we parent our kids and things. And yeah. so for me as a dietitian, of course, I would love my kid to like a wide variety of foods and, you know, enjoy vegetables and things like that. But I think for me, it's, you know, trying to reshape the narrative around how we raise our kids to relate to food, because I want my kids to feel permission and not just permission, but I want them to enjoy all elements of food. Of course, the nutritional qualities that come with it, but also, you know, to understand that yes, food is for nourishment, but there's a lot of other more emotionally related aspects to the enjoyment of it. So when I see Mm -hmm. like last night at dinner, we had some leftover dessert and my husband offered it and, you know, two of them ate all of it. We tend to offer dessert with dinner. Um, but one of my daughters was like, I'm good. Like she had like a bite and then she gave it to, you know, her brother and sister because she just didn't want it. So like for me, the real moments were like, I'm really proud of, you know, yes, if they, their broccoli or whatever the food is, of course (laughs) they get internally excited. But, you know, I get really excited when I see them practicing that self-regulation around Mm -hmm. some of those foods that are often elevated in, you know, and how we, um, act towards them and particularly how I see others respond with those foods to my kids. Yes. Goodness. Yes. I see so much of that too. And I could talk about that all day, but let's talk about some of like the practical methodologies and frameworks that you really teach. Um, For example, like the love it, like it, learn it framework that I learned from you has been so helpful. And it's something I, I still try to use every single meal time that we have. And so talk a little bit about what that is, and then maybe some other like really practical ways that you kind of uh, play out this division of responsibility when it comes to feeding your kids and helping other families. 
Yeah, absolutely. So again, within the division of responsibility, our role as the parent is to decide what, when, and where food is offered. Our child gets to decide if, whether, and how much they eat. So when my oldest was really little, I was like, as I said, I was very comfortable with the division of responsibility, but I realized what I was offering her, she was not eating. Right. And I felt like in a real rock and a hard spot of she's only eating the blueberries or she only wants the bread or she's just going to drink a cup of milk at this dinner and avoided all other foods. Mm -hmm. And I think I had these high aspirations for her to be really adventurous, but we were, we were almost diminishing our ability to establish a division of responsibility because I wasn't really meeting her where she was at. And so that was actually creating more power struggles. And so again, going down to kind of the root of the division of responsibility, it's to really, you know, foster trust and control in the feeding relationship between parents and children. And so what, um, what I came up with when she was little was the love it, like it, learning it framework, because oftentimes as dietitians, we suggest that families pair preferred and non-preferred foods. And as we all know, as soon as you have a kid, it doesn't take long to hear, I don't like that come out of a kid's <laughs> mouth. Yeah. But as a clinician, I don't like using the word, I don't like that with kids because it's just, it's very black and white and it just automatically outs some of these foods. And I think for parents, they quickly think my kid doesn't like that check it off the list, not going to even bother with it anymore. And so what I try and um, share with parents is this framework. So we know that our kids have foods that they love. Those are the ones that they eat pretty much every time they're offered. Then there's the foods that they're still learning. Those might be the ones that often come first to mind to parents, the foods that our kids quote unquote don't like, and they maybe either have never been exposed to it or when they are exposed to it, they're just pretty averse to it. They don't even maybe touch it or taste it and things like that. And then there's the like it foods, the foods that are kind of 50-50. Sometimes these are the most frustrating, I think, for parents, because we think, but you liked that last time. And, <laughs> yes. you know, then they don't eat it the next time and things like that. So those are kind of the foods that may or may not be eaten. But if parents can start structuring meals to include elements of love it foods, like it foods and learning it foods, we'll see that we continue to offer a variety. We can rest assured that we're offering our child something that they enjoy. We can reassure our child with that. We can say, you know, I will always offer something that you like. They may change their mind. And so, of course, there's a lot of nuances to this. Mm -hmm. But if you know that you're offering them a love it food, you have security that you have offered them something to eat should they choose to be hungry. But you're also exposing them to other foods because, of course, we're not going to only give them the blueberries or the rolls or the milk as their only aspect of the meal. So right. we can begin pairing different combinations with those like it and learning it foods so that our child learns how to be a part of a family meal that includes elements that maybe are not their most preferred foods. And we gradually learn how to expose our kids to those learning it foods that otherwise we might kind of feel like, well, they don't like it. What's the point? But instead, I think thinking about it in terms of learning to like it, we realize that these foods may be offered our child's entire life and they may not learn it until they're in their 30s, but we can continue to position them in a pressure-free, really positive and playful way so that families you know, begin to interact with these foods and enjoy these foods, even if they're not being eaten. So where parents often feel like, you know, it was a wasted effort or the food went to waste if it just sat there on the plate to help families and parents, you know, walk through with their children. How do we, you know, make the most of a learning it food and that learning it opportunity and experience at a meal, even if it's not eaten? Yes. Yes. And I love like so many of the tips I've seen you do, like using fun little food picks, you know, or having, getting them involved in making things like letting them, you know, help you in the kitchen and do things like that, especially with those more 
learning it foods, you know, just to kind of pique their interest. I think that's something I was, I didn't really understand that, you know, even if they're just like touching the food on their plate, like that is progress. And so, Mm -hmm. because I think, like you said, we have this like black and white mindset of like, okay, that's wasted because they didn't eat it. Um, or it was successful because they did eat it. And there's nothing in between. We just are very extreme in our um, approach to that. And so that was that has been very helpful for me with, with Remy because she's, you know, she, like, she's in that like it camp a lot. Like there are a handful of love it things, but a lot of it, it's like one day she likes it, the next day she doesn't, one week she's into it, then she's over it. You know, she, she gets in like phases, like I think a lot of kids do. And so um, just the ability to, to pair different things. And it helps me from a, you know, meal planning perspective to know like, okay, we're going to have something she loves every time so that I'm not worried. I'm not stressed about it. Like if she leaves half of her plate, I'm fine because she ate something that she loves that I'm comfortable with. And so it takes so much of the chaos and that like bribing thing, you know, out of mealtime. And so I think that's probably one of the most helpful parts of that framework, at least in my experience. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because I do think, you know, when we begin shifting our focus off of getting our kids to eat, yeah, that, that doesn't fall in in any part of the division of responsibility. Our job is to offer. That's where it boils down to, again, the parent provides, child decides. So when we sit at the table, our work has really been done. I mean, we may think a little more creatively about, is there a way to get my child to, you know, be interested in engaging with this food? Should I get them a food pick or a different, you know, you know, something of novelty that might make them a little bit more interested in this food. But outside of that, it's really just role modeling at that point. And I think we so often forget that that role modeling at and around the mealtime is so important for families Mm -hmm. because parents get so wrapped up on focusing on like, are you eating? What are you eating? Have you had bites of that? Don't eat that first. And it makes, I mean, no one even wants to be at the table at that point because meals are really, I mean, even as a dietitian, just meal planning and meal prepping and being like in charge of all the food at the house, even with this being my job, it's a lot of work. And so what we don't want families is for it to be like, it's so much work going into the meal and then the meal itself feels like work. Yes. And so I think if families can start to see, parents can feel really encouraged that they've done their job and done their job well and learn as they go and then enjoy those meal times and that time that we do have with our kids, if it is a meal that we're sharing with them at the table or that we can just feel that we're doing the best that we can for them if it's a meal that you know we're maybe providing for them, but we're not you know sitting there a part of. Yes. Yes. And I think that's so helpful because I think we all hear that and we know the, you know, family mealtime is important. Sitting down at the table together is important. But if that time is stressful and you're fighting over the kids, eating, not eating, you're yelling at them, whatever, um, that's not really doing anyone any good. And so I love that you're taking off the focus of trying to get them to eat, like you said, and you can actually talk to them and model that behavior of just like, this is how we do food. This is how we eat. This is our family culture. So that's, um, that's great. What about, um, I'm sure you run into this. (laughs) What about when, so you're, you're doing that, you're implementing that, but then they, you know, get up from the table and they're like, I'm done, you know, and then five minutes later, they're like, I'm hungry. (laughs) Can I have the love it food, you know, like they just, can I have more of this, more of this, more of this? What uh, strategies do you use for those kinds of things? 
Yeah. So it's a funny question because I actually just did a podcast episode on this because it's so common for families to struggle with this because it's like, you know, we're sitting down and the kid won't stay seated and things like that. So the episode, I actually walked through a framework of get seated as the acronym, like seated to kind of help parents see like, these are the steps that we can make sure we as the parents are facilitating to help support the child stay seated for a long enough time. I mean, a lot of children are not going to sit for 30 minutes, but we can set really clear boundaries. So the biggest thing is you know, to make sure that families understand that like the parent is in charge of setting those mealtime boundaries around when food is offered. Mm-hmm. And so if in your family, it's, if you get up, the meal is over, then you need to reinforce that. You know, I always say like with love, express your limits. And yeah. so, you know, we want to keep the tone really positive and kind at meals, of course, but we also want to make it really clear that if you do this, this is the natural consequence. And sure. so if we're letting our child leave and come back, leave and come back, leave and come back, you know, that's a very confusing boundary. And so the line is likely to get crossed. And so, you know, for families to kind of, you know, for some families, it's a, you know, a sand timer or a visual cue to kind of help remind the child how long they're expected to stay seated. And then after that, they might be able to get up. But I think, you know, finding ways to communicate with your child, either visually or, you know, verbally to help your child understand this is the boundary. And then they know if they've crossed it, you know, you reinforce that so that they learn it because then the problem and just like anything in parenting, right? Like if we, whether it be sleep training or discipline or whatever it might be, if we have vague boundaries and we don't reinforce them to our kids, the struggle lasts a lot longer. Where if we can, you know, muster up the courage as parents to just hold our guns, whether we're right or wrong and how we do it, honestly, it's, you know, it's just sticking to what we say, then the problem tends to dissolve a little bit faster. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency is so important in that because it's so easy if you don't have that set up, you know, especially on the days, it's always the days that you're the most tired and have the most going on that you just want to be like, whatever, just go, you know, but then yes. that bleeds into tomorrow. <laughs> and then they're mm-hmm. like, well, you let me do it yesterday. Um, and so then you've got yourself in a, in a more difficult position. So that's great. Yes. Um, another tip that I learned from you that has been super helpful is how you set up your snack drawer and snack, just how you handle snack time in your house. Can you share a little bit about how you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, as parents, we often categorize foods we offer at meals and foods we offer at snacks. And, you know, all of us could rattle off our top 10 snack options that our kids love and things, but then we very quickly see that kids love snacks and they don't eat at meals. Mm -hmm. And so what parents need to recognize is that there's no bucket these foods fit into. I mean, any snack food can be a meal food and any meal can be a snack food. And so, you know, it might be a mini meal for a snack. You know, it might not be as large or, you know, involved of a, you know, eating opportunity, but the foods can be really interchangeable. And so something that I did with my kids, I actually started it right before my, my son was born. Um, because I just realized so many other people were going to likely be handling snacks if I was feeding the baby or, you know, if I was trying to get some sleep or something like that and people were helping with the girls, I wanted them to know what are kind of the snacks that I've already pre-approved. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have that tight of a rein on things here, but I know that whether it be my parents or my husband, they just, they're either going to feel like they're going to come in and interrupt me and ask me, what should I give the kids? Yeah. You know, even if, um, you know, they know that they have permission to offer my kids other things, they're going to want my ideas. And so what I started doing was in a drawer in our fridge was I just started putting 
lots of different snack options. And so with it being in the fridge, I mean, I bring in plenty of options from the pantry. It's not that those items can't be refrigerated. They just don't have to be refrigerated. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I will put crackers or raisins or dried fruit or applesauce pouches. Some of these things that, you know, typically are in um, the pantry, but I bring them into this drawer. So now that my kids are older and, you know, I'm not in that season I initially was, it's just the snack drawer. And when it's snack time, if I haven't already come up with a snack or put something out for the kids, sometimes I do have to just say, go get a snack. And my kids now know protein, fat, fiber. Like they know, like we Mm -hmm. need to have different foods providing us different things at a snack time to help fill us up. And so they, you know, kind of understand what some of the food options are, but putting things like yogurts or cheeses, fruits and veggies, you know, when I, my groceries get unpacked, I often like wash them and put them immediately into the snack drawer. So they are really, you know, when we talk about having things at eye level, these things are really readily available for the kids so they can go get a hummus cup. And, you know, sometimes I'll have little containers of pretzels in there, carrots, you know, and um, I just feel like it helps transition kids from just autopiloting to the pantry and Mm -hmm. autopiloting to the thing that is grab and go and easy and in a crinkle package that like feels just made for them (laughs) to going to the snack drawer first, seeing what's there, seeing where some of their options are. And they know that is where in our home Mm -hmm. we start. So I think for a lot of families wanting to start this, I hear from a lot of families, why don't the same fridge as you and things like that. And really it can be a large Tupperware that you just sure. make an allocated spot for that you just put these items in. You don't have to have a designated drawer. And if your, you know, refrigerator configuration is different, just, you know, use a leftover Amazon box if you have to for proof of concept, but begin just kind of putting some of these snack options in there. And then you can begin to branch out and include different things and kind of think, okay, these are the ones that we're burning through. But it also helps my kids know, hey, if we've eaten all the yogurt tubes, move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it helps kind of perpetuate some of that variety just in and of itself based off what's available in that yes. in that drawer, that space in the fridge. Yes. I think especially as as we get to having a little bit more independent kids, they want to do it themselves. You know, that's I hear that that's probably the most common phrase I hear in my house right now. I want to do it. Let me do it. I want to do it. Um, and two, it's helpful for when you're working or you do have another child you're taking care of for them to be able to go get something themselves. But then a lot of times, especially if they're in the pantry, I mean, free reign of all things, you know, and there's no telling, at least from my very creative, imaginative daughter, what she's going to come out with. And so for me to have a kind of a designated space of like, this is, this is where you can, whatever's in here, you can do, um, gives her a lot of freedom and helps me not constantly have to be looking over her shoulder of what is she getting did she just dump 12 spices in the floor? Yeah, probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> not that that's happened here. Um, so, you know, it's just, it was a, a very helpful idea. And I just love the visual, you know, that they're going to get it at themselves and choosing from, from options that are great for them, things you're comfortable with, things that they like, you know, it's just, I think that's a super helpful way to do it. So that's a great idea. Um, what are some other helpful tips that you use to make mealtimes less stressful, especially for kids who are more hesitant to trying things or having even, you know, having a different food on their plate? Um, what what do you have any like tips or strategies around those kinds of more difficult situations? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I was just talking to a friend this morning. She had sent me a message and um 
we were, we were talking about one of my podcast episodes about how you get variety and for really particular eaters and how certain children, you know, even if it's a healthy option, they can get really set on something. And some kids, of course, get really hooked on less healthy options. Yeah. But I think for families to see as their starting place, you know, these, these love it foods that they know their child loves, if they can begin to see how do I pivot just a little bit. And so in the feeding world, we often call this like food chaining, but I help parents kind of think of it like, you know, a small rotation or a little variation, basically like what is the biggest change that you can make to that food that is small enough that your child won't care. And so every child's feeding temperament is different. Some Mm -hmm. kids, a pizza is pizza. Who cares? Some kids want this brand cooked at this temperature for this number of minutes on this pizza stone and it matters. And so every parent knows their child's feeding personalities and knows how much variety they can help, um, you know, begin to integrate. But I think the strategy really applies to all of them because if we change the color, the shape, the taste, the texture, or the temperature of these foods, we're making really small variations and yet we can start gaining a lot more variety. And so something like if a child loves strawberries, leverage that, think about, okay, how do they like strawberries? How do you cut them? How would your husband cut them? Mm -hmm. You know, do you offer them freeze dried? Have you ever given them frozen? Do you ever put them in a smoothie? Do you do strawberry and oatmeal? Is it strawberry yogurt? Like, you know, you just begin to think of like how much range can come with that. And I think that for families who are concerned with, you know, what their child might be eating or the lack thereof, if they can just build that love it, like it learning list, and then begin to see like, where are these bridges that we can begin to build off of where we're starting? Because I think a lot of the reason parents have so much defeat is because we're all looking at what everyone else does for ideas as if we just don't have the golden ticket. We just are missing the thing rather than looking at our child and tuning in with, what is their thing? What is, you know, do they really like, like one of my children really likes frozen vegetables, <laughs> but it's like, she does not want to eat a cooked one for her life. But if it's, fro- but she loves like frozen bananas, frozen strawberries, frozen blueberries. And all of a sudden when you give her frozen peas or frozen broccoli, you know, from a food safety standpoint, you're actually supposed to cook them. But as a mom, I'm like, sure. it's fine. You can eat the frozen broccoli. <laughs> but, um, but I think if we tune into that rather than thinking, oh, well, this kid likes broccoli fritters. Well, sure, you can go to the effort of buying the ingredients and making the broccoli fritter and doing all these things. But I know firsthand as a mom, you know, I had very high aspirations and I was met with a lot of defeat because I was just trying to pull in all the ideas rather than looking at like what ideas actually make sense and are most likely to be effective mm-hmm. because you learn a lot about your kid in the process and you also learn how baby steps make big impact. And so how can you make those small little changes to help, you know, accumulate into big change over time? Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. And I think for a lot of us, we do, you know, we just jump from like, okay, well, if she only likes mac and cheese and she only likes this brand this way, you know, that that's just what it is because I need her to eat, you know, rather than trying to just do little bits and not jump to an extremely different thing and then her freaking out. So that's um, super helpful. Is that really where you would advise, you know, if a mom is listening and she's just really concerned about maybe a a more picky eater or really concerned that they're not getting enough nutrients because they just want to eat the same things every single day? Is that kind of where you would advise her to start or what advice would you give her? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say at first start with 
you know, even if you just draw some, I have, you know, free cheat sheets that parents can download, but, you know, just make a T graph of love it, like it, learning it, three columns Mm -hmm. and write those foods out and try and be as specific as possible. Like I said, these nuances like frozen, a frozen fruit or veggie seems kind of irrelevant. Like we disregard that as it's a strawberry, a strawberry is a strawberry. But if you're, if you notice a trend that my child loves all these frozen things, Mm -hmm. it might be something where, okay, let's tune into the temperature or the texture that a frozen item takes. That'll make you automatically have more foods listed than just putting strawberries or something. So I would say, write your basic list, then really hone in on what that list is and try and get as specific as possible. Don't just write, my kid loves crackers. What crackers? You know which crackers your kids Mm -hmm. like. So you know also which crackers your kids probably don't like. And so be really specific so that each of those you know, specifications you can begin to kind of tune into and think through. I would definitely say that is a family's best starting place. And then from there, you know, if you notice that your child's love it list is very, very short or is omitting food groups or, um, you know, you see like that there's really um, completely different like texture groups that they will not touch or that they, you know, may gag or cry or have like really extreme emotional reactions over. That mm-hmm. might be one where you really want to make sure that you're either pursuing a feeding therapist or finding a dietitian that you feel like you connect with and that can help kind of foster along who maybe has a personality and an approach that kind of aligns with yours. Because yeah. a division of responsibility is going to apply to all kids. But I think if parents can feel... Um, more supported in what they're offering and then some of the nuances of where and when, then they can begin to make some of that progress. But then from there, I would say like uh, what you were saying, you know, if parents can start to see how can I just buy a different brand of something? Mm -hmm. How can I make it just a little bit different? How can I have invite my kid to come help make it? Because they're going to make it different than I, but I know that they're going to be more receptive to theirs because, you know, they've already been involved in it, but try and look at how can we make these little changes? Because I think what parents will quickly see is a lot of it is, is us getting over, especially if we've, you know, kind of have some PTSD of the, honestly, like sometimes it feels like the trauma of feeding a picky eater and all the negative responses that we've had. Sometimes as parents, we have to remind ourselves first, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. We bought a different brand or, you know, during COVID, we all were forced to get whatever we could get in our carts. You know, yes. it was like, we yeah. couldn't, you know, but I think as parents, if we can realize like we have, we then learn how to respond to the different feeding situations because we all want easy wins and we all want our kids to eat, but oftentimes we're not willing to do the work required to help our kids eat more variety because mm-hmm. we don't want to deal with the repercussions right. or honestly having to come up with the responses for if, whether, and they don't eat, you know, so their job in the feeding relationship, but we don't know how to handle it when they do their job sometimes. And so I would say the baby steps are really helpful for the child, particularly if they're a more particular eater and have, you know, more things that they like really specific, but also for the parents, parents know if they're kind of have the personality that's like, go big, go home. I'll just try whatever and see if it sticks. I'm okay with throwing spaghetti at the wall. Other parents know, like I'm really tiptoeing around this and I personally need to do baby steps so that I can learn how to respond in an appropriate way that is still conducive with the division of responsibility, even after my, you know, my quote unquote job of what, when, and where is done. Right. Yeah. Easy wins for the kid and for the parent. Would you say that's your same advice for older kids as well? Like maybe you have older kids and you're at this point where you're like, oh my goodness, like, (laughs) I don't think they're getting anything that they need to get. I'm like actually concerned about their health at this point. Would you use the same strategies there? 
So, you know, it does shift a little because as you said right now with your daughter, you know, I want to do it myself. There's a different level of independence and autonomy when kids are like younger versus Mm -hmm. like school age. Yes. And we have to handle it differently. And so we are a lot, you know, our division of responsibility maintains itself throughout our children's lifespan, but it does shift. And so we look at like, you know, ages six to 12, the way that we feed them does begin to shift a little bit versus what we do for maybe kids six and under who, you know, need a lot more handholding and a lot more facilitation of foods and things like that. And so depending on kind of where the child falls, if, you know, older means three or older means six or older means 13, you know, that there'll be different approaches that we would need to take. Um, But I think for families to, again, tune in to their child and see where they can start, because sometimes with older kids, you know, what's effective with them isn't so much the novelty of, you know, the funny little food play things that we can do as small kids that they still find really amusing. And any parent who's ever had their child eye roll at them knows like, <laughs> when you pass that window, I'm no longer cute and funny to you. Now you think I'm just lame. Mm-hmm. So when kids kind of reach that developmental window, we have to start engaging them in a more mature way. They're not going to pretend and play with their food the same way like a younger sibling might, but we can help them explore and experiment because they're older and they're more curious about you know, more complex things. And so mm-hmm. having them see how foods change when they're cooked and, you know, kind of handle it a little bit more of like a, as a scientist or, you know, with yes. the math involved and the different hand, you still really want to get them really hands-on and comfortable with the food, but the approach does shift. But I think families can start to see there's, there's a lot of opportunities at all different ages and stages, but you do need to tune in with what age and stage your child is at. So, that they don't become frustrated with you and that, you know, you aren't frustrated with them, that none of your efforts are, you know, translating and into any more foods being eaten. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think to, you know, back to getting them involved in the kitchen, like that seems to be so helpful, especially when they are a little older and able to do that, you know, more, a little bit more um, hands off from you and a little more safely. And then I think you've talked about before about like family style, serving meals and so letting them have a little bit of autonomy over that as far as what actually gets put on their plate as well is is that right yes yeah Yeah, I think anytime you can you know we kind of get in the habit of pre-plating which Mm -hmm. you know it's not a hard fast rule that you have to do family style and obviously it's not feasible every meal but a lot of times I'll encourage families like try it on a Saturday morning breakfast with pancakes that's a very Mm -hmm. you know low ask compared to like you know, I've had clients be like, I could never do a build your own salad bar family style with my kids. That stresses me out just thinking about it. Well, that's because I've been doing this for years, you know, but if you've never done it, just do family style of cookies and milk at the table, you know, just do something that you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. offering your kids and let your kids practice serving themselves, talking about, you know, how much is available? How much do we each get of the given foods? You know, a lot of times with family style parents are like, well, I know the cheese, the kids are going to all fight over the cheese, you know, and things like that. So you kind of walk through some of these things in the way that you're ready to pace yourself through it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's pancakes and syrup on a Saturday morning at a time that, you know, you have the time and the mental capacity to deal with that rather than, you know, a busy weeknight or something like that. But anytime you can help your kids, because then you have decided what, when, and where the food is offered, but they're getting to decide if, whether it's on their plate. Do they yes. want it on their plate? Are they interacting with it to bring it to their plate? They may not want it on theirs, but maybe they'll serve it to you yes. on yours. Or, you know, they have to still pass it. So they're still smelling it. They're still mm-hmm. seeing it. Like there's still like experiences being had, even if they're not eating it. Yes. Where if we just pre-plate it, 
again, if it's met with the right approach, that's okay. If you're not handing them the plate and saying, eat it all, I don't care if you like it. Like that's <laughs> obviously doesn't align with the division of responsibility, but you can still do a division of responsibility pre-plating your kids' foods, but there's there's some opportunities that you miss out on when you do that. And so, you know, for all different ages to your question before with, you know, depending on the age of a child and stuff, as they get older, absolutely, we can really be, you know, offering them and inviting them to the opportunity to serve themselves family yeah. style. Yeah, that's great. Even for Remy, you know, like I mentioned, she's four and a half. But when we do family style things, number one, it's such a novelty to her that she's like super excited about it and feels like it's a whole different experience. So that's always fun. But also she does that exact thing. Like she's one of the kids that she doesn't really want things on her plate that she doesn't like. And so that gives her the opportunity that she may not put it on hers, but she absolutely wants to put it on mine and on her daddy's. And so um, she's experiencing it. And so she's actually being exposed to it. And so that, that's been really helpful for us, um, just getting her exposed to different things. So you mentioned it a minute ago about you have free downloads on your site. You have a, you actually have a ton of resources on your site. So can you tell us a little bit about what we can find on your website, what the website is, where we can find you to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is veggiesandvirtue.com. And I do have a lot of free downloads like lunch packing, cheat sheets, cheat sheets for baby led weaning, cheat sheets for meal planning, cheat sheets for love it, like it, learning it. Just, you know, a lot of free downloads as well as different options. So if parents want breakfast, lunch, snack ideas, I have some combination cards that Mm -hmm. give a lot of different in it. They walk you through that changing of the color, taste, texture, temperature, shape, things like that. So parents can begin to see how, you know, a baseline breakfast idea of eggs, I share what some of those pivots might be and things like that in those combination cards. Those are awesome. And then um, some meal plans as well for dinner if families feel like they need some ideas for, you know, different seasonal meal ideas. And then these days, the best place to um, catch up with me and just connect is over on my podcast, the Veggies and Virtue podcast. Yes, that's super exciting. And it's great. So there's definitely plenty of content there to go binge if you want to (laughs) do a deep dive into the content. That's great. Um, And then is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention? No, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I just want to be available to your listeners, you know, and make sure that if they feel like they need support in this Mm -hmm. area or that they're struggling or just feel really discouraged, I think you know, nutrition being a science, we can make it very scientific and as if it all has to be perfect. But I think if parents can start to like embrace the art of feeding their kids, they'll start to enjoy it a lot more. And so, you know, just want to encourage parents that yes, all the ideas are really good, but you know, getting back to the heart of it and just making sure that you find people that help support you in the struggles. And then also, you know, are celebrating your successes with you. Um, And I'd love to get to be that for any of your listeners. Yes, that's great. And so the best place to contact you is through your website. Yes, through my website, veggiesandvirtue.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and just for all the wisdom and encouragement and suggestions that you've shared. Um, I really appreciate that. And everyone, make sure that you go check out Ashley's site. You go listen to her new podcast. That's Veggies and Virtue Podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for having me. Guys, what did I tell you? Super helpful, right? And so encouraging. I love that. I love that she normalizes the struggles that I think a lot of us have experienced, but she also provides such practical just tools and tips for how to navigate some of those harder things about feeding our kids and having 
the kind of more peaceful meal times that we are hoping for and that actually are beneficial for our families. And so I hope that you will definitely go find her on Instagram, go visit her website, listen to her podcast, all things are veggies of virtue. And so you can find her there. And then as she mentioned, she has a tons, tons of resources on her website as well. So she has both free downloads, meal planning ideas, grocery lists, so many helpful resources and guides, as well as some things in her shop. And so I think she mentioned in the episode about the combination cards. Those are super helpful, especially when it comes to helping your kids get involved with the choices about kind of what they're eating and getting them exposed to different foods and things like that. So that is a really helpful tool. And those are currently on sale on her site for 35% off. And so definitely make sure that you check out veggiesandvirtue.com. And I would do it in the next couple days while that sale is still going on. And so that would be a great tool for you if you feel like you could really use some support in this area. So that does it for me today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that this was as helpful for you as it was for me. As always, keep moving forward. Go love your people well, and I'll talk to you soon. Please remember that the content in this episode is not to be considered as medical advice and is only intended as general health information. Thanks so much for listening in today. See you back here next week for another episode of the Health Forward Podcast.